It's our Premier League lockdown football special. It's great that football's back. Well, apart from David Luiz and if you're in charge of goal line technology and David Luiz and Arsenal and David De Gea and David Luiz and if you're looking for Sunday night entertainment in Liverpool and if you're David Luiz. But apart from that, everything's been brilliant. Uh, Will Downing with you and just Stefan Jolie this time because everybody else has worked far too much this week. Stefan, hey, what have you really enjoyed about the first weekend of Premier League football, being back? Well, um, you know, obviously it's great to see uh, football being back in, in England. Surely uh, what, you know, it's important for the fans to see Liverpool being crowned on the pitch and not necessarily by the Premier League and the season being stopped. So, yeah, I was, you know, I was looking forward to see Liverpool against Everton. Obviously, a major disappointment in terms of the quality of the game. <sighs> and uh, we all were. having said that, you know, there was like, you know, a few goals around Newcastle. 3-0 victory against um, Sheffield United. So the 11th game of the 11 that we've had so far is probably the key game, the most important game to date. Everton nil, Liverpool nil. It's the fourth Merseyside derby in a row at Goodison in which there's been one goal or less. And in this occasion, it was less. And I guess it's the game that most people, most neutrals such as they are, were probably looking forward to this week. I guess there aren't many neutrals in football, but nil-nil. And you know what? Nil-nil pretty much sums it up. Yeah, well, it was quite much a match, you know, uh, anticipated fixture. Unfortunately, the quality of the game was not there. Um, look, they're back. It's great to see the, the, the players, you know, on the pitch. Um, it will take a while, I guess, for some of the teams, some of the players, you know, to reach, you know, you know the maximum physical like you know level and and technically as well so it's a break you know they, they've been off you know for a good while it, it will take you know two to three games you know maybe more like for some teams or players you know to uh, yeah to, to get you know the the, the fitness and uh, it's, it's a problem again injuries as well um i haven't seen you know, too many so far the, for the for you know for the the, the club's been back so far apart from arsenal yeah apart from arsenal but, but uh, liverpool you know injury free everton as well man city i think is it's fine but liverpool what we learned from today still have to wait for to be crowned champion so it could go to next week against manchester city obviously if city win that then it's still game on for another few weeks it's liverpool 83 points with eight games to go Manchester City, 60 points with nine games to go. They're playing Burnley on Monday night. Leicester City in third on 54. Eight games to go. Chelsea, fourth on 51. So first game back, months of anticipation. No goals at Villa Park between Aston Villa and Sheffield United, except there was one because Nealon carried the ball over the line. And for the first time, out of 9,000 goals in the Premier League since it came in, Goal line technology failed. Poor old Michael Oliver's watch went off at half time. About five minutes too late. An, an obvious goal. Now, the VAR could have called it back and didn't. And it just had to happen. First game back, eyes of the world on England. And they got the goal line technology wrong. Unbelievable. Yeah, GLT didn't work because apparently there's too many bodies, you know, in the, <laughs> along, you know, across you know, the line and the, uh, and, the, uh, and the box, which is unbelievable. And uh, it just read the question about... The referee, the referee basically uh, are not refereeing the game anymore. They're just relying on technology to tell them if the go, you know, the ball has you know crossed the line or not. It's 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 a bit sad, you know, in a way because that was one of the questions being asked in the MLS when they implemented 
the VAO and uh, the G- goal line technology, it worked, you know, in the uh, in the Dutch when they initially, you know, set it up, it was fine. But in England, you know, worked for the for the first time, I think, ever. It's it's, it's pretty amazing, and uh, I know uh, Okai, I think the company looks after it. So Okai, yeah. Yeah, there, there's too many people in the box, and they couldn't see it. So it's the first time for everything, but it's pretty disappointing, really. One failure out of 9,000 actually is a really good strike rate. But the problem is, so Sheffield United, let's say they would have won 1-0. You, you don't know the course of the game after that. But Villa could have come back to win. You just don't know. But Sheffield United win, so they don't win. They might miss out in Europe because of that. They might even miss out in the Champions League by a point or two. Villa could stay up off the back of that by a point or two, and that causes a problem as well. So there could be a few lawsuits at both sides of the table. There's there's murmurings of it. Yeah, I understand what, you know, the people are coming from. I guess, you know, those kind of things will level up, of course, you know, through the season. You know, it's about, you know, giving and take, you know, giving and taking. But the point is, like, you know, the problem is, like, fair enough, you know, the, the technology didn't work, but the referee as well, the linesman, the ref didn't see it. And what's they can't rely again on technology, you know, to dictate, you know, the uh, the decision uh, being made or the ball crossing the line. They have to ref the game. That's the jobs, and that's you know the problem in football at the minute. We feel the referee stopped refereeing the game. Now the ball's not with the naked eye, obviously, over the line until you see it in the replays, and that's where the VARs could have come in because there was no break in the sequence of play. They could easily have come back and said, OK, hold on a sec, we've just spotted, from what we see, the angle, all the balls over the line. Whether your watch beeped or not, Michael, we reckon that's a goal. So then, obviously, Michael Oliver then could go and take a look at it himself. And OK, there's a massive delay in the game, but at least the goal is awarded then. I just reckon in the old days, in the 80s and the 90s, I remember, I think it was something like an FA Cup quarterfinal, Manchester United against Nottingham Forest with less cameras back then and the ball could have crossed the line, but the referees couldn't see decisively whether it had or not. And I just think the same things happened here with, with Michael Oliver, unfortunately, who for my money is the best English referee anyway. I agree with you, Will. Um, VO should definitely, uh, you know, should have definitely been involved uh, about, you know, um, making that uh, decision or helping at least Michael Oliver to make the right decision. Again, there's a lot of cameras on the pitch. It's just a matter of, t- you know, a matter of, VO or the ref asking VO, look, can can I can I look at the footage again to be sure? Like, but GLT are there on the watch to say, look, it's a goal or it's not. It's it's, it's simple. So for 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 Michael Oliver, it's it's been completely misled, and there's nothing he can do. He has to rely about what he's been told. But VO, yes, I agree, should have uh, definitely intervened. So we 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 we've seen this weekend the limitation of. Um, of VAO and uh, GLT. And goal line technology for the very first time, but supposedly his watch beeped at half time when he was in the dressing room. Just what you want. Just what you want. And then as soon as that happens, he goes, okay, this is great. Yeah, <laughs> technology is his best, Will. Yeah. You can't rely on technology 100%. I think we know this now. And you know what else you can't rely on? Tell me, Will. David Luiz. Oh, my word. Oh, boy. So there he is. A substitute against Manchester City. Has to come on after 25 minutes. It's nil-nil. Everything's going well. Then there's the absolute howler just before halftime for Sterling to score. And if that's not bad enough, four minutes 
into the second half. Four minutes. I nip down to the shop. I come back. City are two up, and he's been sent off. What can I say, Will? I mean, uh, that defender, David Luiz, I think, you know, he had, you know, a few uh, disastrous seasons prior, you know, going to Arsenal. A few? Well. A few, yeah. I think, you know, he's been struggling for a while. It's not the first time a PAG, he gave, you know, a few goals away. And um, you have to question his professionalism um, at times, his consistency, um, his desire to compete, you know, week in, week out. And uh, I have to question his level to play in the Premier League, obviously. And uh, it's 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 awful what we've seen from David Luiz. It's it's a fact. And and you know we, we talk about you know like players into the game giving you know the utmost. And Roykin, the GI from Manchester United, obviously Roykin uh, was extremely uh, flabbergasted about the GI's performance and asking for consistency and being an international goalkeeper from from, you know, from Spain. And not performing well, and and I think Roy Keane is right. And now this is Tottenham, Manchester United as well. The other David, David Aheya. Um, would you have been throwing as a former professional footballer? Would you have been throwing punches in the dressing room at halftime then? As Keane said, he would have. I guess you you will have you know, a few words, you know, with uh, David Luiz or, or David Dejea because it's not the first time it happened on the pitch, unfortunately. And again, questioning, you know, the the the, the, the professionalisms and the commitments and. It's not acceptable when you, first of all, you've played, you know, millions and there's a high expectation of the club. You're not playing, you know, the third division in England or the fourth division in England. You're playing, you know, the Premier League to a top clubs in England where you expect to perform week in, week out and to deliver, you know, all the time at the Premier League in the Champions League or Europa League. It's not happening, obviously, for those, uh, those two guys for quite a while. And uh, so, and I think I definitely agree with Roy Keane. It's not acceptable. He's like a he's like a soundboard. He's a quotable walking interview, Roy Keane. I mean, because Bergwijn's goal, it was really well taken. Maguire was badly caught out. De Gea was caught out, didn't get behind it. Tottenham 1-0 up. But then Pogba comes on, almost robs it back from Manchester United. And you know what? I, I think Keane and, and his other colleague, Graeme Sooners, have had a few words to say about Paul Pogba. But at least he got them back into it. Bruno Fernandes with the spot kick. They almost won another one. I mean, Fernandes looks fabulous for Manchester United. And he was cracking in Portugal prior to that. That just completed the game when Pogba, you know, came uh, came on, came on uh, in, into the game. As obviously Pogba, you like him or you don't, he, he, you know, he will just, you know, sometimes, you know, um, frustrate people and understand, you know, Rocking's position or Graham Sweeney's. But, you know, if you look at the World Cup in 2018, he was absolutely superb. And he wants to see Pogba playing the same way with France, you know, with Manchester United. But it's not happening, and uh, United has been struggling for a while. And uh, is it down to Paul Pogba? I'm not so sure. I think it's more or less, you know, a, a collective issue. And um, and players been signed as well, but probably not good enough to play at that level. Being French, you like Pogba then, right? You love Pogba? No, no not really. Well, you must do. No, because he was fantastic in the World Cup. Yeah, he was. But he's not. He's not. I mean, he's been injured quite a while with Manchester United, so it's been unfair to. To come back on Pogba and say, look, you need to do more, and but he's not been there for the last, you know, le- you know, eight months. So that's a challenge, you know, for Pogba to come back, to get, you know, his fitness level to the uh, standard required to play for Manchester United, because he's, he will be influential on the pitch. There's no doubt about that, because he has so much potential. He needs to fulfil it. He's not young, as you know, people, you know, 
could imagine he's, he's you know, a growing man now he's, he won the World Cup but he needs to gain consistency to be injury free and if we see that Pope uh, in Russia I mean Man United you know will gain a lot from him Are they kind of giving him the wrong role do you reckon? Well it's that's a difficult you know question really to answer with because Oli, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, you, you know, should you utilize, you know, Pogba the same way that Didier Deschamps use it with the French team? I would say yes. But, you know, has he got the same player around him? I say no. Good answer. Um, Arsenal, by the way, uh, a series of calamities for Arsenal, just going back to them, because obviously they had a couple of injuries the other night against Manchester City. David Luiz had come on for Pablo Mari. They'd also lost Granit Xhaka after eight minutes. So then they come back on Saturday. They're playing at the Amex against Brighton there in front through Pepe, all going good. Then Leno gets his injury. The little challenge with Neil Mopé, which to me didn't look malicious, but then he goes off and then all hell breaks loose. Brighton score twice in the last 15 minutes. Dunk and Kel Surprise Mopé. That's two defeats in a row for Arsenal. And they're what, they're 10th now? Oops. Yeah, well, I don't know where to start with Arsenal. Really, like it's uh, it's, uh, it's a disaster uh, since uh, Wenger's departure. Arsenal has been struggling to rebuild the club with Unai Emery. We moved, you know, from a possession game to a transition game with Unai Emery. It didn't work. Um, now, Lundberg, you know, came as an interim uh, manager, and then we we saw uh, Mikel Arteta um, taking over. If Given time, maybe Arteta could be the right man for the job, but he needs time. He can't rebuild a club after, you know, more than 20 years or two decades of Arsene Wenger. It's, it's not possible. We've seen the same thing happening with Manchester United. But Arsenal needs to have stuff with, you know, you know they need to do a, a huge clean-out and, and then start fresh with Mikel Arteta. Look at, you know, maybe the signing departments to review the, the way they're recruiting, you know, players at Arsenal, maybe also the academies with Pert Metzaka, I guess, is in charge of the, uh, the academy. How, you know, you can reshape the academy, the philosophy of the club. It's They have to really like, look at the club as a whole um, and rebrand completely Arsenal as itself, as a club. So it's going to take time. And is it still an attractive club? Yes, but not for, you know, the top players in the world. You're talking about, you know, second and third choices. So it's going to be a long, long way for Arsenal to come back and to be in the top four. So there are two things about that. It sort of shows you towards the end just how good a job Wenger had done that they were still a top five side and they were still reaching cup finals. And of course, I mean, they, they were in the Europa League final last year. Is it a case that he'd been there too long and it was by the end too much in his own image and that there wasn't maybe a a path of continuation that had been put forward like what Liverpool had when they were very successful Shankly goes Paisley comes in he goes Fagan replaces him Fagan goes Dalglish comes in we, we've seen it you know to uh, many clubs who has been you know to, to a certain extent and had success like Arsenal, the Invisible, you know, in 2003, 2004. But Wenger, you know, has been charged, you know, for like 21, 22 years at Arsenal. So he was controlling the club. And from a financial point of view, you're more or less guaranteed to play Champions League every season. So for the shareholders, it's, it's a win-win situation. So why would you sack a manager which you're guaranteed to have, 
a huge, you know, influx of money coming to the club every season. We know, like, for the last you know few few years of uh, Wenger at Arsenal, it was not the case. He played Europa League. Uh, he was in the Europa League, and uh, and you, you felt like maybe Wenger should have left the club maybe three or four years earlier than what he did. Like, so it's a difficult decision because it's been, it's been there so you know for so many years that who is going to make the call for Wenger to leave? Not him, obviously, because he loved the club so much. He, you know. He built up that club. There's not even doubt about that. To you know, to become such a successful uh, uh, company, basically, you know, he, he was there. You know, to move from uh, the old stadium to the new one. Uh, remember, you know, he sold Anelka to Real to make sure that money will fund to some extent the, the, the stadium. So he, he was quite instrumental in at every level in every department. But when he goes. It's a huge void for the club. How are you going to replace that? It will take time. We see with Manchester United, with Ferguson, same situation. We see Barcelona with Pep Guardiola. Yes, with a bit of success, but still not as you know as expected. And Leicester, we, I mean, we have to keep coming back to Leicester. What a job Brendan Rodgers is doing. One all draw against Watford. Watford had brilliantly dressed up Vicarage Road, Graham Taylor stand, lots of montages of him and also lots of Elton John quotes because obviously he owned the club for very many years. We're still standing, one big banner said. But then Leicester score in the 90th minute through Chilwell. Great goal. I guess that's why they call it the Blues. But Dawson, what a volley. Rocket man, tied up at one apiece. And I'm glad he scored that way because I didn't want to reference the bitches back. But 1-1, Leicester a third. And I mean, they look good for the Champions League. They, they just seem to still have that title-winning spirit and Brendan Rodgers, who I know a lot of people might have reigned on a little bit for various reasons, but he did a great job at Liverpool, brought them so close to winning the league, didn't stick around for a, a, a treble-double up in Scotland with Celtic, but look at what he's done at Leicester. I think, you know, Brendan Rodgers is completely undermined as a manager. Um, he's done really well at Liverpool, didn't win the title. Uh, remember Steven Gerrard, like you know, against Chelsea. We we know what happened, but uh, since taking over, uh, since taking over Leicester City, what a job he has done. In you know, if you remember back, you know, uh, last December they were second in the league, second in the league. No one would have you know put a penny on on Leicester to be in the top four. And here we go again. They 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 probably been in Champions League next season, and hopefully follow uh, Claudio Ranieri's footsteps. Um, so yeah, I mean Brian Rogers has done great, like, and uh, he's got the ability to uh, to uh, probably get the the best of average players, and that's what the trademark from Brian Rogers. And uh, so I'm, I'm very happy to see uh, Brian Rogers being successful with Leicester Leicester City. The job they've done in keeping Jamie Vardy there, because obviously Arsenal wanted to tempt him away after the title win. Basically, it was only. It was Kante who left in the aftermath to go to Chelsea. Pretty much everybody else stuck around. You see the talent that's come through. A lot of it from Belgium, of course. Wilfred Ndidi, Yuri Tielemans, who's still really good. Sionku, who we mentioned last week, who's come in from Turkish football. Kasper Schmeichel still in goal. Good to see Johnny Evans, actually. You know, a, a good, solid performer at centre-back after all those years of success he had at Manchester United. And what has tended to happen with a lot of players is they, if they leave Manchester United, stay domestically, we'll say the case of someone like Phil Neville, but there are dozens of players you can mention going back the last 10, 15 years. They leave, they don't have the same success. But Johnny Evans, OK, they're not winning trophies, apart from the league a few years ago, but, you know, they're, 
they're solid, they'll be in the Champions League next season. Yeah, Johnny Evans, I would consider as a true professional, someone who's who's guaranteed, you know, a consistency. Will more or less guarantee you maybe, you know, 30 games a season. And uh, a leader, I guess, you know, in the dressing rooms. I mean, Brian Rogers see that, but what's interesting about Leicester City, they have the ability to sign the right player. They, they lost, you know, Angolo Conte. Drink waters as well left. They were very important, you know, key players uh, on the pitch. But, you know, they, they, they attracted, as you mentioned, Tillemans, who was in Monaco, but struggling in Monaco, was sold, you know, to Leicester City. And NDD, we, you know, great player for, for Genk, moving across to England. And uh, they, they're not afraid, you know, to take a risk or a bet on players, or young players, promising players, and it's working for them. It has been working for a while. So obviously the scouting department is doing a great job at Leicester City. I don't know who's in charge over there, Will, but uh, so far so good. And of course, Riyad Mahrez went to Manchester City as well, but largely they've kept the squad together, which is really impressive. And they can recycle every season players, you know, being lost with players, you know, being competitive straight away. So at the bottom, deep breath, West Ham hanging on well against Wolves, who again are under um, Nuno Espirito Santo, are having another brilliant season. We thought last season was great. They can still get into Europe again. Two late goals, Raul Jimenez and Pedro Neto with an absolute thumper. 2-0 win at West Ham. Brilliant for Wolves. They continue to be tremendous. And West Ham continue to not be. They're 17th and just hanging on above Bournemouth on goal difference. Again, Wolves, what a team. I mean, uh, I really like you know the style uh, of football at uh, Wolves, especially Nuno taking over the club and in the championship, you know, and getting promoted. And one player to me epitomised, there's a few of them, there's Ruben Neves, Absolutely magnificent in the middle of the park, Moutinho. And you have Ruben uh, uh, Varg, uh, Pedro Neto, Jimenez as well, who've been very successful in Europe. Uh, if, you, if you remember, he moved from America to Atlético uh, Madrid and went to Benfica. He, he struggled a lot. And it, it seems to me that Wolves is a different type of player and he's utilized, you know, for his skills. Like And uh, and remember as well, the player from Ireland, Matt Dirty. What a player under Nuno Spirito. A 3-4-3 player under the wing-back. Unbelievable. It's, you know, and he struggled to get, you know, uh, to get a spot, you know, playing for Ireland. And when you see what he's, what he's doing, you know, for Wolves, it's, it's unbelievable. It's incredible. And, uh, and he's been that for the last few seasons. It's not like only like this year you can see Maduroti doing well. It's been, it's been performing, you know, at, you know, top, top level for, for a while. So it's, 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 it's a good squad. We know, like Mendes, a huge influence as well at the club. But seemingly, like, the Portuguese player just did really well to the Premier League. And they were very efficient. And the 3-4-3, it's, it's brilliant to watch. So Bournemouth are a place below West Ham. Same points. Goal difference is three worse off. Bournemouth in 18th. Uh, they were beaten at home by Crystal Palace, the second most watched Premier League game in British television history because it was on BBC One. Now, th- those are TV figures alone. It peaked at 3.9 million, but if you throw in the iPlayer, it goes to 4.2, and that then becomes the most watched Premier League game in British television history. Uh, Milivojevic's brilliant free kick. Jordan Ayew got the second. Whatever about Bournemouth, look at Palace, they're ninth. They're only 
Four points off Manchester United, four points off the Europa League at the moment. Roy Hodgson's doing brilliantly there. And they've won four in a row. And that's the first time Hodgson's managed that in his managerial career in the Premier League. Yeah, and Not still bad, going eh? strong, Roy Hodgson. Um, it's, yeah, it's exceptional. You know, experience, you know, obviously uh, talks, you know, uh, when you have Roy, Roy Hodgson in the dressing rooms, you have Wilfried Wilf Zaha, what a player. Could have gone to Arsenal and stay, you know, at Crystal Palace. I think Roy Hodgson, you know, had a huge influence on him. Um, yeah, Crystal Palace, I guess, you know, going you know, for the European places, I think it's a good big ask. But going back to Bournemouth, that's, you know, the interesting story to me because Helio, one of the most, you know, promising youngest manager in England, in English football, um, took that club, you know, for the first division, bringing him to the Premier League. Uh, is he going to uh, stay up with Bournemouth season? It seems, you know, a lot of, you know, results, you know, went against him, which, you know, the previous season went, you know, would have gone, you know, a different way. Is it a sign that he was struggling and fighting, you know, for regression, you know, for a long time till down, maybe down to the wire in the season? Because they're struggling to score goals. They continue to love goals as well. So I'm not too sure, like, but he's got limited resources, um, even though, you know, he's in the Premier League. Uh, so it's going to be, uh, I think, a struggle for Eddie to maintain, you know, Bournemouth in the Premier League this season. But surely what Eddie Howe has done in the five seasons to date with Bournemouth has been a miracle. And surely the easiest thing Bournemouth could do is get rid of him, but it would be the worst thing they could do because if you look at Burnley, they went up 2014, Sean Dyche, bottom six, bottom seven all season. He's introduced on radio. I remember he was doing an interview, I think, on the radio with Mark Chapman and you know, introduced as, you know, manager of struggling Burnley. And the first thing he says is, but where do you expect us to be? So they go down, they keep him, they go straight back up after a season. And Burnley right now are 11th. I mean, a shock win for them over City would put them up into 9th. They'd go above Palace. But, I mean, Burnley are 11th. They're safe. Everton are 12th. Newcastle 13th after their win over Sheffield United. Southampton 14th. They're all safe. Brighton are probably the, the highest team that could still be considered in a bit of trouble. But that was a great win for them over Arsenal. Surely... Bournemouth have to keep faith with Eddie Howe if they go down. And they could go down because at the moment nothing's going right for them. That uh, tuna lost the Palace. Yeah, at the minute, you know, I, I will feel, you know, for Bournemouth uh, really to be one of the contenders to go down. Unfortunately, Eddie Howe has done, you know, a brilliant job over there. Maybe it was a time last season to go. Um, he deserves, you know, to move for a bit, to, you know, to a bigger club in the, in, in the Premier League. We'll get a chance, you know, to uh, move up if you're on the ladder. I don't know, but he's a, to me, he's a very promising coach. He has shown a lot of qualities, you know, to manage a club at the Premier League, but also to build up a club. It's not only the, the first team. It's about, you know, the academies. You know, it's about, you know, a mini Wenger, if you want, at Bournemouth. He, he, he has a view on everything and, and make decisions more or less on every, you know, department. Um, looking at, you know, as you said, about um, Brighton. Um, another interesting, you know, story with Grand Potter taking over Chris Hutton. Having come from Ostersons. Came as well from Swansea before that. Um, to me, that's a surprise. I, I don't understand the link between, yeah, Ostersons, you know, doing quite well against Arsenal in the, in the uh, Europa League, uh, winning, in you know, at the Emirates. I remember I was scoring that game and uh, it was, you know, he made a name in himself. 
through the Europa League and went straight to Swansea. Swansea didn't do that well. And I was surprised that, you know, Chris Hutton was let go and replaced by Graham Potter. So I'm still I'm trying to understand what is the link between Swansea and and Graham Potter going to uh, Brighton. I just, I don't get it. I still I, don't get it. I think the point was that he'd done really well in Swedish football. You consider with Roy Hodgson as well, he'd done really well in different countries. He'd been in charge of Inter Milan, had been in Finland. And again, in somewhat, let's say, unglamorous conditions compared to English football, Swansea were the ones who decided to take the risk to see if a football manager from the Allsvenskan could do it in England, despite him being English and so on. Other bigger clubs presumably had had an eye on him, but didn't want to take the risk. And then seeing how it was going well at Swansea, Brighton perhaps feeling that Chris Hewton's football was a little bit unadventurous, but he was keeping them up. We've seen it a good few times over the past 10 years. Maybe Manchester City started the trend with Mark Hughes, torpedoing him, and they were doing okay. They were 7th or 8th. Same with Southampton, which I suppose was the one that opened up a lot of people's eyes because with Nigel Atkins, they were about seven, you know, 15th, 16th. Not in a lot of trouble. Got rid of him, brought Pochettino in. I think, well, what are you looking to do? He qualified them for Europe. Okay, right, I see what you're trying to do. So maybe that was the reason why Brighton decided to bring Potter in. They, they didn't want to take the gamble originally and then felt, after he'd proved himself a bit at Swansea, right, okay, you are our man. I mean, I, I cover a lot of games in the championship and uh, I remember, you know, Potter taking over Swansea. I, you know, I love expectations based on what I've seen in the Europa League against Arsenal. And to me, it was a major disappointment because I can't see the difference between Graham Potter and Chris Hutton realistically on, you know, at Brighton. You know, there's no difference really. Okay, I'll make one more comparison for you before we end, because we have to end. Norwich City, to me, okay, the bottom, and they're six points from safety right now. They've lost 3-0 to Southampton over the weekend. The way they're trying to play under Daniel Farker reminds me a lot of Wagner last season at Huddersfield. Good young German boss, sure enough. Wants to play a particular way. It's just... It, nothing's working for them. From the opening night when they were beaten 4-0 by Liverpool at home, it, it's a season which just seems to have only ever gone one way for Norwich, and it's down, sadly. Yeah, I mean, David Wagner, one exciting coach, is at Schalke now. I remember as well covering others in the, in the championship, and uh, it was quite refreshing to see that. But, you know, the, the, what's interesting about Daniel Falk and David Wagner, they all went to that Borussia Dortmund. Uh, school, if you want, as a reserve manager and work, you know, Wagner worked with Sunday, you know, you and Klopp as well. The school of Klopp? The school of Klopp, exactly. It will, will, will. And those guys, you know, I would say, I'm not, I would say are quite dogmatic as managers. They will stick, you know, to what they believe, you know, attacking football and they will die with their ideas. Okay, well, there you go. Reading up, by the way, from the bottom, Norwich 21 points, Villa 19th on 26, Bournemouth on 27. Then outside the relegation zone, West Ham 27, Watford 28, above them Brighton 32, then Southampton 37 and continuing up, they are all safe. Obviously things will change on a day-to-day basis. FA Cup is on next weekend and also next Thursday to the day, the anniversary, 25th of June, 38 years since Northern Ireland beat Spain 1-0 through Jerry Armstrong. Now that is an anniversary well worth marking. So until then... It is farewell, just from Will Downing and Stefan Johnny this time, but everybody else will be along at a future date. As usual, please don't forget to like and rate and subscribe. 
because we like that. And until next time, it's goodbye. <laughs>